Yes, it's Monday, and we all know what that means, don't we? It's time to talk about ghosts with I, Kevin Eustace. How are you all doing, as we like to ask in podcast land? Well, today is a special episode because it's episode 40. Yes, it is. And what I've decided to do, because you may have noticed in your podcast player, your podcatcher, if you will, that this shows as season one. Well, we're going to call an end to season one today, and we're going to start season two next week. And how we're going to celebrate the end of season one is with what other podcasts would call a grab bag. Basically, before episode one of season one of this new reboot, there was about 200 episodes of We Need to Talk About Ghosts. Yes, there was. So what I'm doing today is I'm collating a series of stories that you won't have heard in this new reboot season one for your listening pleasure. Picked from all of the episodes that we've done in the past that are no longer gettable from anywhere on Tinternet. I think there's one or two places you can, actually, if I'm telling the truth. Anyway, that's what we're going to do today. Don't forget, if you want more content, you can sign up to Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash we need to talk about ghosts. And when you do so, you will also get your name sung out. No name singing today, sadly. That will take place on episode one of season two. Yes, it will. Will we move things around? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But either way, in the meantime, here is a load of nothing but ghost stories for your ears to feast on. Take care of yourselves and I'll speak to you next week for episode one of season two. And we're actually going to play out this episode with the old theme tune too. How nice. Take care, guys. Here's some ghost stories. Our first email today comes in from Stephanie with an I. And... I thought you to confuse me that. Like, we've seen her on Karate Kid first when he says to his girlfriend, I'm Daniel with an eye. And I'm like, what? You've got two eyes? But it just means the eyes at the end where you'd say Stephanie IE. It's just Stephanie with an eye. Very nice way to spell it too. And she writes, hey, Kevin. Hey, Becca. And neighbouring fur baby. Oh, my boys and I love the show and are frequently fantastically spooked. Good alliteration there. It is especially a treat as I drive from patient to patient in my home health nursing role. Well, God bless you, Stephanie. I would love to do a Zoom to regale scary tales from when I was a creepy kid who always saw and felt things. Well, then we should arrange this, Stephanie. Yes, we should. Not that it's changed much, but I do make an effort to block out the creepy stuff these days. For now, I will share a handful of experiences I've had in in our now forever home, as well as those of my sensitive, Ethan, who is nine. When looking at houses, I was instantly drawn to our 1901 craftsman shotgun-style home. With fireplaces in each main bedroom, dining room and living room, the hardwood floors, tall windows and high ceilings, I was hooked. I often wonder if maybe there was something else drawing me in. As I look back, I've grown up in a few haunted homes. So did the haunted feelings seem like home to me? It's rumoured that this house is cursed. Divorces, a murder and deaths over the years. Luckily, my high school sweetheart, my boys and I, have thus far survived. One stormy April night, just after putting my boys to bed, I look back at my eldest bedroom's door and thinking he had got up. Quick as a flash, I saw an old man coming from the closed bedroom door. Wearing a khaki-coloured knee-length trench coat, and he was putting his hat on, making his way to the front door just to the right. I also saw an umbrella in his left hand. It was the first and last time I saw him. That room had been an office in the previous owner's home. Hmm, maybe he didn't want to share the space with an eight-year-old boy. In brackets, he's now 13. Over the past seven years, both of my boys and my two nephews have on multiple occasions stated that they felt someone was watching them. It's happened to me as well. Another oddity. Once I was up late, having a beer, talking to one of my friends on the phone. Suddenly, she says, Is someone with you? I hear someone talking. In brackets, not the last time that one happened with her either. Just as I responded, no, I felt creeped out. The hair on the back of my neck stood up and there was a sound of fingers snapping in a circle around me sitting at my dining room table. As it was happening, I told her about it and its location. It made a full circle around the table, then snapped off into the kitchen where it sounded like someone opened the fridge, and then shut it. A hungry ghost, perhaps? Now, just a month or so ago, 
The hair raised on my arms as Ethan came running out of the game room. In brackets, the creepy room he refuses to be his bedroom as originally intended, and told me he heard fingers snapping from the window seat into the closet, and then felt someone watching him. In brackets, I always feel like someone is watching me as I pass by, or if I'm in that room. Strange for such a cheerful light blue and white sunny room. The first Halloween we spent in this home, after trick or treat, I elected to stay home with the kids and binge watch A Haunting, or some similar show. My husband went off with family to my dad's music studio to listen to family and friends jam and party out. The boys had fell asleep, and I got up to get some cheese, crackers and pickles, as well as a nice iced water. I gave my cat, Puck, fresh water in his bowl, shown it to him, and headed back past the creepy room, through the bathroom, and into my bed. Here comes Puck, and goes straight for my ice water. Ugh. So I pick him up, walk back through the bathroom, pause at the creepy room, and I'm drawn to look in. I see only the toddler-sized rocking chair, and take Puck to his water. I turn around, start to make my way back, and there is that little rocking chair smack dab right in the middle of the hall that I just went through several times. The hair on my arms raised, and I avoided that route back to bed and used the door in the shotgun hallway instead. I could barely bring myself to turn on the scary show again, but thought maybe watching others will get my mind off mine. The creepy feeling remained until my husband got home. He asked why the kid's rocker was out in the hall. He thought I was pranking him when I told him, in brackets, skeptics. Final tale of terror for now. This was just about the scariest thing to happen to me in my life. One night, I lay in bed in that spot between sleep and awake, cosy, content, warm and snugly in my blankets. Suddenly, I sense someone next to me at the side of the bed, and it's emanating pure evil. Something said, don't look, in my head. That was not of this terrible feeling presence. Then, my blankets pulled down my body, all the way to the foot of my bed. I felt as if I didn't do something now, or get away, that something terrible would happen. I could just barely move. There was tremendous pressure on me. I finally managed to fall out of bed, crawling around the bed on my belly with this thing just growling at me. As I fell out of bed, I caught sight of shark-like teeth in a mouth, but was reminded by something in my head, don't look, don't look in the eyes, go, go, go. Crying, bawling, trying to scream, not making a sound, I reach up to the door, working my hand up. Finally, I touch the doorknob. In this moment, I sit straight up in bed with a blood-curdling, terrified scream, waking up, in brackets, a question mark. Tears streaming down my face. I look down. The covers are folded down neatly to the foot of my bed. My husband came in and asked what's wrong. All I could do was point at the blankets. Eventually, I told him. He said it was a bad dream. Maybe so. As I did later dream, I was fighting with this creature in the walk-in closet, battling with it to leave my home, laughing at it when it growled and screamed, saying it had no power here and that God commanded to go back from whence it came. Or were they dreams? Or out-of-body experiences? Well, I hope this was enjoyable, there are more odd experiences in this house, past and present, that I'm happy to share, as well as nursing experiences and many from mine and my family's haunted lives. Happy haunting, everyone, and stay safe. Sincerely, Stephanie. Anyway, our first email today comes in from Mitchell, and it goes thus. Hey there, Kevin. Hey. Becca. Hi. And the neighbour's cat. Meow. Greetings from the States. I was surprised when you were asking people to send submissions in. I'd always assumed you were up to your arse with stories. He says ass, but I can't say that right. It doesn't sound right when I say it. And that sounds uncomfortable, sir, yes. But I figured I would take a moment and write down this very true story that really happened to me. Ha! That sentence totally makes it seem like I'm making this up. But I swear I worded it like that because I think sometimes ghost stories are completely silly 
and can be explained away very easily. But I know for a fact my story is a real ass ghost story. Again, he says ass, but I can't say it. Caveat, before I send this, I am confirming with the other two people who were in the room when it happened, just to make sure it wasn't some elaborate prank on me 20 years ago, and I don't make a fool of myself. If you're reading this, it was a confirmed ghost. Very good, Mitchell. Good preamble. I'm into this. Let's hear your story. I live in Los Angeles currently, but back in 2002, when this incident took place, I lived in the city of Chicago with a couple of friends from high school. We all grew up in a northwest suburb of Chicago. I won't mention the town, but all the suburbs surrounding the city of Chicago are sometimes affectionately referred to as the Greater Chicago Land Area. At the time, I was in between apartments. I needed a place to stay whilst I finished the run of the play I was performing in. I wasn't sure if I was going to stay in Chicago or move somewhere else. I had two high school friends who lived together and they had a storage room slash office in the back of the apartment. The room could fit a twin-sized bed and had a couple of boxes and that's it. It also had the heater for the apartment, so the room was really dry. I never slept all that great in the room. I tend to be a pretty restless sleeper anyway. We had good times though. We drank and we threw parties even though the elderly landlord lived next door. Nothing ever seemed weird. One night... I came home from the grocery store and put everything away except for about five soup cans I'd bought. I left them in a plastic bag on the counter and that was that. Later that night, I was on my computer with my back facing the kitchen and I hear the bag with the soup cans rustle, followed by a crash. I had a cat named Spider at the time who lived with us and I thought it was her. So I said, without turning around, Hey Spider! When I turned around, my cat was on the couch behind me staring into the kitchen in the direction of the noise, so she definitely heard it. I got up and checked, and somehow the bag with all the soup cans had fallen from the counter to the floor. That freaked me out. I wasn't quite thinking ghost yet, so I didn't say anything to the roommates. After that, I started noticing something that kept happening. We were on the third floor, and there was a second exit stairwell that led to the alley, located in the kitchen. It had a small landing with a wooden door and a screen door. Open up the wooden door when it's hot, keep the screen door closed to let the air circulate, that kind of thing. Well, around the fall of 2002, I would hear the screen door slam closed, but no one was coming in or out. It would be unlatched when I would consciously latch it, It happened three or four times, and once when I just latched it moments before. That's when I started to get spooky feelings. One night, I had this dream. About a black woman wearing Sunday clothes, a hat, and sitting on a bench in the middle of the day. Like she was waiting for a bus or for someone to pick her up. She seemed right out of the 1950s or 1960s. In the dream... It's like I wasn't there. Like I was watching a movie. She turns her head towards me and looks in my direction, but isn't looking at me and never registers that I'm there. I woke up. I'm not really into dreams and stuff like that, and I rarely remember dreams. However, I remember this one vividly, for the following reason. Later that week, the woman I was involved with at the time stayed over for the first time. When she woke up the next morning, the first thing she said to me was, You have a ghost. She said she woke up in the middle of the night and saw a woman sitting at the end of my bed with her back towards us, like she was waiting for something. And when I asked her to describe it, What do you know? She said, A black woman, in Sunday clothes, and a hat. She described the same woman from my dream a couple of nights back. Okay, so, now I'm sure there's a ghost in our apartment and I bring my evidence to the roommates and they're not receptive. They think I'm joking and high and they don't take me seriously. Fine. Now I kind of think this is a fun novelty so I start to tell friends and friends of the roommates when they come over all about the ghost. My roommates thinks it's stupid 
but others respond with varying degrees. The woman I'm dating and I break up and we don't see any sign of the ghost for about a month. Soon after Halloween of that year, the landlady has come over to fix the heater. This woman was about 75 years old but looked fabulous. She was a kooky older lady trying to do everything herself still. So she's fixing the heater and I ask her if anyone died in the apartment or if she's heard about the apartment having a ghost or anything like that. She starts to get worked up and says things like, What? Who died? Ghost? What ghosts? I felt a little bad because I sort of confused her. She fixed the heater and left. This was the last straw for one of my roommates and the three of us gathered into the living room. The roommate started saying to me, essentially, You have to stop it with this ghost stuff. That confused her. It's dumb. Now knock it off. I kept saying, Listen, I really do believe this now and I wanted to know. I don't think it was bad of me to question her. We went back and forth for a minute and then all of a sudden my roommate got frustrated, stomped his foot and said, Mitchell, there are no such thing as ghosts. Just at that moment, the CD player system kicked on and immediately started playing the beginning to the song Super Freak by Rick James. It was crazy. The CD player slash system boombox thing had been completely off. Now, you should go and listen to the recording of that song. It's the sample at the beginning of You Can't Touch This by MC Hammer, but it's bassier and spookier. The CD was our Halloween mix, and that was the first song. It was confirmation. We all looked at each other, and I jumped up in celebration, vindicated. It was scary and also kind of a relief. We decided we needed to do something, so we salted each corner of the room and bought a bunch of Jesus candles and lit them. Every answer wasn't readily available on the internet in 2002, so we worked with what we could find. I moved out to New York the following February, and I don't remember anything else. The guys still remember, I've just confirmed this with them, and one of them, the disbeliever, lived there with his boyfriend for another two years, and said a couple of things happened, but he couldn't remember what. He also kind of still makes fun of it all. I guess I've had other experiences, but nothing as complete as that. I am a tad weary of ghosts, but certainly fascinated, and I don't know any more or less about them than anyone else. Love your show, why thank you, and the incredible output you do, why thank you again. I know it's not easy, well it's not, no it's it's alright. Thank you for your time and effort. Thank you. It's awesome. Thank you. I just joined your Patreon. Thank you. Which was long overdue for me. Thank you again. It feels funny writing it all out because I rarely share this, but I stand by it and I'm a pretty logical person. Now, I must get back to chopping up with this body. Fair play, Mitchell. Send it into contact at talkaboutghosts.com and I read them out. Right, let's have another. And we have a belting email that came in from Natalie. Hello, Natalie. And it's entitled... Wait, hold on. Let me see if I can use a name. Does she say anywhere that I can't? No. In fact, you'll see that the name's pretty essential in the story, actually. So, it's a good job it's not anonymous. Because there's a point that the ghost would have to go, Anonymous! You'll see what I mean. Anyway, the email is titled, Paranormal Stuff from Nat in the Midlands. Hooray! Hi, Kevin. Hi, I'm Becca. Hi. Oh, no, I'm me. Hi, Kevin. Hi, I'm Becca. Hi. I've been sitting on quite so many stories for ages and I've always thought I would get to send them in eventually. So I found a bit of time and now I'm going to share them. Hooray! I've always been interested in the paranormal, but I've always remained on the sceptical side. Fair play. My first ever paranormal experience happened when I was at university back in the very early noughties. Naughty, naughty. Okay then, Nat. Hit us with your best shot. I was in a house share and my room was on the top floor. One night, I got into bed and lay on my side. I had only just got into bed and had not even closed my eyes when I heard an aggressive whispering voice say my name. Natalie. The voice dragged out the first and last syllable of my name and it sounded like something you would hear in a horror movie. I honestly find it hard to put into words how horrifically terrified I was. The whisper was so loud and I felt cold air on my face. Adrenaline instantly ripped through me and it felt like my heart would beat out of my chest. As I heard this, 
the validation that ghosts and spirits were actually a real thing hit me. I instantly pulled the covers over my head and scrambled around to get off the bed and out of my room as fast as I could. I kept the covers over my head because I think if I'd seen a ghost or spirit, I would have actually died from fear. After managing to get out of my room, I knocked on my housemate's bedroom door, covers still over my head, and hysterically attempted to relay what had happened. I was drenched in sweat from the fear and adrenaline. From hearing the voice and getting to my housemate's door took about 10 seconds. That level of fear I have never felt since. But even now, I always sleep making sure my duvet is covering my exposed ear. Skeptics could assume I was dreaming or there was somebody playing a trick on me. I was definitely the only person in my room with the door closed and had only just climbed into bed, not even closing my eyes or laying still. I was also of sound mind and had not been drinking alcohol as it was a school night. If I could have debunked it, then I would, as I would have preferred that than the alternative. The following days and nights were absolute torture. Both in the day and night, there were noises in my room, such as bangs and clicks, as if pebbles were being thrown at the wall. The TV kept turning itself on and off, and the room just felt like there was something bad in there. I slept with the light on and the TV up loud as a way to drown out the noises. It stopped as soon as I had my room blessed. There's a lot more to the story and bits of bobs that have happened in between, but it would take too much time to put into an email. I've had so many more paranormal things happen, I haven't got time to write them down in detail, but I will endeavour to do so when I get another spare hour or so. Here, however, is an outline of my most recent experiences. 1. A Ouija board experience which gave myself and my husband the absolute proof that life existed after death. 2. Loud banging on the walls of my bedroom in aggressive patterns of six at a time. This was almost as scary as the whispering voice story. This happened in January of this year. It only ever happened over the course of one night and has never happened since. 3. After moving houses, I have heard voices talking amongst themselves. On the first occasion, I looked around the room to try and fathom out where the voice was coming from. A male voice then said, I think she can hear us. I was then instructed to make certain shapes with my hands to prove that I could hear them. My husband was asleep next to me at the time. Once I had silently proved that I could hear them, I was then given a message which I think related to my nan who passed away the year before. 4. I heard my nan's voice speak to me and we had a conversation. 5. I have heard voices shout out answers to questions whilst teaching. In brackets, yes, I am a teacher and these voices don't come from my students. The voices I have heard are not like voices you would hear from a living person in front of you. I hear them either inside my right or left ear, but they are as loud and as clear as a living human voice. I had no fear either, so I'm sure they weren't from anything sinister. I know these sound completely unbelievable. And when reading it back to myself, it makes me sound like I'm indeed a crazy person. But I assure you, I'm incredibly normal. I haven't heard any voices for a few months now. I don't consider myself to be as sensitive or anything either, as I had no control over when I could hear the voices. They just took me by surprise on a few occasions. When I was a teenager, I had a vivid dream that there was an earthquake in Turkey. In brackets, my best friend at the time was on holiday there. I was woken up in the early morning by the house phone ringing. It was my friend from her holiday, and she said, Nat, you'll never guess what's happened here. Thanks for reading, Nat. Our first email here is from our Patreon, Patrick Marshall, and he writes, Hello, Kevin. Hello, Patrick. Read this out loud if you want. I will. Thank you for the offer. Sorry for the empty email. He sent me an email prior, which had no attachments, you see. Gotta love technology and how it still has glitches even in today's age. I completely agree. I apologise it's taken me a year to send another haunted story from the El Paso Playhouse. Don't apologise at all, sir. But between the world being on fire, correct, a death, oh dear, sorry, and now employed once again, hooray, 
Listening to your podcast between We Need to Talk About Ghosts and The Dark Paranormal has kept me going. Ah, well, I'm glad to hear so, sir. Shall we begin? Yes, we shall. This is Patrick's story. Here, we have another haunted story from the El Paso Playhouse. It was a late night, and we just finished auditions for an upcoming show. There were only three of us left in the theatre at the time. We were discussing which people we would like to cast in which roles. Suddenly, we heard a rustling sound, the same sound paper makes when wind catches it. We all looked up at each other. Couldn't help but wonder if someone else had entered the building. So we, with slight hesitation since no one came around here to where we were, started to investigate to see if anyone had entered the building. I made it to where the box office was and didn't see anyone. That's when I had the urge to look into the auditorium. What I saw was this. Something just floating across the stage. No head, no arms. Just a torso, bright, moving across the stage. The stage is hollow, so when you walk, you will hear footsteps. There was zero sound to this. It's about that time when I knew we had to leave. I turned and saw that another person who was there saw the exact same thing I did, turned off the lights and locked the office. We met the other two by the side door and made sure we had everything and left through the door. Just on the off chance with a slight maybe and great hesitation. We all decided to walk to the front of the building since it had glass windows and doors. Maybe, just maybe, it was a person. No, no, it wasn't. The atmosphere changed to very unwelcoming and tense. Whatever was in there was just standing in the aisle, staring back at us. We left promptly, returning the next day to find pictures tossed off walls and chairs thrown around. Sorry it was so long, but we'll return with another story later on. Regards to you and Becca, Patrick. Well, well, Patrick, I'll have two tickets to the haunted auditorium, please. That's terrifying. So when you say, I wonder when you say, a torso, no arms, no legs. Obviously then, no head, because otherwise you would have mentioned it. So was that what it was? Was it like if you pull the legs and arms off uh, a He-Man figure, and it was just like torso He-Man floating across the stage, going, I'm going to use my invisible arms to throw stuff around here when you're gone. You mark my He-Man words. That is terrifying, Patrick. I mock, but I mock in jest, because that is bloody terrifying. And I would have ran a country mile. Our little email treasure trove of paranormal. We have an email, or should I say, a plethora of little stories from somebody who wishes to remain anonymous. That's right, it's Annie Anonymous. Anyway, it's anonymous all the way from California. And they write... I would like to remain anonymous. There you go. I told you so, didn't I? Hello, Kevin. Hi, Becca. Becca, you're here. You can shout hi. Hi. She's a bit hungover. And the neighbour's cat. Wink, wink. What do you mean, wink, wink? It is the neighbour's cat. Meow. I started listening to your podcast during lockdown. And when you announced you were starting the dark paranormal, I started listening to that as well. Anyway... I'm a huge fan, so thought I would share a few of my experiences with you. So this is Anne-Marie from Los Angeles' email. <gasps> she said anonymous. Oh, shit. I'm joking. That's not a real name. It could even be a boy. Anyway, this is their email. In the late 90s, my husband was stationed in Southern California. We were a very young couple with two very young boys. We had a very small but comfortable two-bedroom apartment off-base in a not-so-great area. But again, it was a comfortable little place and we had great neighbours who were either friendly or kept themselves to themselves. Needless to say, our support system was limited. Hubby would sometimes work long hours, 12 on, 12 off, nights, weekends and many deployments ranging from a few weeks to six to seven months. I always had a hard time sleeping when hubby worked nights always deployed so I would do some of the household cleaning after the boys were asleep to keep me busy. One such night, I was in the kitchen washing dishes and decided to pour myself a drink. As I was reaching into the fridge, I felt a gentle but very firm adult-sized hand on my shoulder. I froze. As the realisation that I was the only adult home and my sons were much too small to reach my shoulder, 
I slowly turned my head to look over my shoulder. No one was there. The boys were sound asleep in their beds. The door was locked and I was completely alone in the kitchen. As alarming as that was, I had a sense of peace, as if someone was trying to comfort me. Sometime later, it was time for Hubby to deploy for six months. Deployments were the worst and I don't miss the emotional roller coaster leading up to his departure and during his absence. After weeks of feverishly getting all our affairs in order, making sure he had all his gear and packing everything up, the night before he was scheduled to leave arrived and we were finally in bed. He has always been the type to be asleep before his head hits the pillow. Not me. After some tossing and turning, I remember rolling over in bed when I felt a very gentle but firm adult-sized hand on my shoulder. Just as before, I was alarmed at first but had a sense of peace and comfort, so I placed my hand where I was still able to feel the invisible hand and fell asleep. My final account from this little apartment happened not long before we moved across the country. It was a Sunday night. The boys were in bed and Hubby and I were folding laundry on our bed. We were either side of the bed. I had a view of the door forward and right of me. Hubby could see the door to his left from his periphery. The boy's bedroom door was next to ours. As we were folding clothes and chatting, from the shadows of the doorway, we see a dark little head peek around the corner. Corner of the eye phenomena. We continued folding laundry and ignored them. But I said to Hubby something along the lines of, Those boogers better get back to sleep. A few minutes later, from the shadows, we see a dark little head peek around the door. That's when I started to get frustrated. I was in no mood for shenanigans. I kept my eyes focused on my work, and I said to Hubby, they better not peek in here again. So, we continued folding every piece of laundry in the house. Then, once more, a dark little head peeked around the door. Hubby turned to look as I kept focus on my work and firmly said, Go to bed. I looked up at Hubby just as he turned his head back to look at me. His eyes and mouth were wide open, wider than I've ever seen. He said to me, That wasn't the boys. I don't know what I saw that night. I don't know any history of the previous residence. But I never saw or felt anything after that. Thank you for your time and your dedication to the podcasts. Until next time, Anonymous. Why, thank you, Annie Anonymous. What a wonderful story. That's bloody terrifying. Although it does seem slightly comforting. I mean, don't get me wrong, not the dark shadows peeking around the corner and looking like they're going to kill you, in my mind, when I'm thinking about it anyway. But um, it does seem like it's a reassuring thing. If you were able to fall asleep with a ghostly hand on your shoulder, then you're made of sterner stuff than I But if right now, as I sit recording this, even a gentle adult hand was placed on my shoulder, I wouldn't go, and hands that do dishes can, and like embrace it. I'd be like, mother, and crash through the wall. There would be a Kev-shaped hole, let me put it that way. And of course, a duo of priests would be on call. But seriously, Anonymous, that is terrifying. And I can only assume from how you describe that story that your husband's a soldier or something similar so well done him too going to fight the good fight so thank you all round but that is truly and utterly terrifying this is Freya's story my first story comes from my parents when I was a little girl roughly two or three years old we moved to a new build estate in a little Welsh village called Goulsfield My parents thought this was their forever home and loved it dearly, as did I. Whilst living at this home, strange things started to happen and seemed to centre around me. I was a very, what my mother called, free-spirited child. I always hated being indoors, couldn't stand having my hair in anything but braids, and would tell people I talked to dead people and that I was buried here, pointing at a random grave. Safe to say... My parents rarely took me to christenings or weddings where a graveyard was involved, but what creeped them out the most was that I had started talking to invisible friends. My parents referred to these friends as my friends in the wind. One friend in particular was called Henry, and he was a particularly attached friend who did not like my parents. 
Apparently, I would babble away to Henry about all the fun things we did to my parents. But things started to turn a little more sinister after a little while of living with Henry and his mates. When I was being bathed, my parents would walk to the airing cupboard, which was just outside the bathroom, to grab a nice warm towel for me. On a number of occasions, the bathroom door would slam closed and lock itself. My dad would try his best to unlock the door from the outside, banging on the door, shoving at it, everything he could do to get a toddler me in the bath. Eventually, it would open and I would be sat in the bath giggling. No wet footprints on the floor, no bubbles on the door handle. There wasn't any way I could have locked the door by myself. Henry took a particular dislike to my dad. On one occasion, I'd been put to bed and my dad was in his bedroom getting ready to go downstairs and relax for the evening. All of a sudden, a splash of cold water was poured down my dad's back, out of nowhere. My mother was downstairs already and myself and my little sister were tucked up in bed. From then on, Henry and my friends in the wind were asked to leave every evening after tea. My mother and I would walk to the front door, open it up and wave them off for the evening. My parents even had the house blessed to try and rid the house of my friends in the wind. We moved away from their home when I was 11 years old, and my second youngest sister arrived and the house became too small for our growing family. And let me tell you, the house we moved to in Welshpool will haunt mine and my family's nightmares for the rest of our lives. I wish I was exaggerating. I will save those stories for another email, or if you like, I will suck up my fears and maybe do a Zoom call with you to discuss them. Podcast, because he's a rocker. Yeah, he's a hard rocker, and I mean that in the nicest possible way. Um, okay, so this is Tony's email, and it's called Something at the Bottom of the Stairs and in the Loft. Ugh. Hi, Kev. Hi. Becca. Hi. And the neighbor's cat. Meow. As I may have said in the past, the house I grew up in was haunted and cursed with bad luck. A lot of things I have already mentioned, the tall clown, the disappearing items, but this next story is more something I thought I'd imagined, but on deep reflection, I did not. The first story involves the ladder at the bottom of my stairs. In the UK, in pre-war housing, often there was a cold storage room, and in our house it was at the foot of the stairs next to the front door. It had a blue door, and to me, it always had the sense of something not quite right about it. And this is Tony's story. I would always have recurring nightmares about that blue door. The door would open, and a dark mass, which never had any form, would climb the stairs and come knocking at my bedroom door. This happened almost every night until I was about 15. I was so scared that I would often sleep downstairs on the sofa, as I thought it would not know where I was. As I said... This could be the overactive imagination of a young boy, but the sense of fear I had of being alone in the house and that little blue door felt very real to me. The second story is about the loft, again a blue hatch entrance to the loft or attic for Americans, which was situated just above my bedroom door on the landing on the second floor. This again may or may not be my imagination, but often the hatch would be open and no one in the family would admit to opening it. The space above also filled me with dread and sadness as I got older. The occasion that put the fear of God in me happened when I think I was about 13 or 12. As time passed on, my memory is getting thin on these matters. I was on my own in the house just after school, and Dad was at work and Mum was out at the shops. I went upstairs to use the toilet. It was winter and it was dark early. We very rarely had bulbs that worked on the stairs. We had the house rewired, but the bulbs would just blow, to the point that Dad refused to put them up, so we got used to climbing the dark stairs very fast, with only the light from the living room to guide and the moonlight coming in from the upper windows. Side note, Dad had all the locks taken off all the doors as he never felt safe if the doors would lock. This story I need to prize from him one day. As I ascended to the top step and in the bathed moonlight at the top of the stairs, something made me look up. That bloody hatch was open again and the blackness within was even darker than the house. What I saw, I saw in a flash, but it seemed like ages. And it was the figure of a small boy leaning out of the hatch. I didn't jump or run, 
but I made my way to the bathroom. As I went to return to the safety of the light at the bottom of the stairs, I could not look up and almost with muscle memory I jumped two stairs at a time, whilst also not looking at the blue door at the bottom of the stairs. Now Kev, I've not thought of this in 30 years plus. Did I imagine it? Was there a spirit in that small room in the loft? This I don't know. But as I said before, I am sensitive. And that house was very, very wrong. Bloody hell, Tony, that's terrifying. Yes, it is indeed. Oh my God, there's something about loft spaces. I don't know if they're they're the same all over the world, where it's kind of just a hatch normally. I know that um, a lot of houses, new builds especially, in the UK now, but especially in America and Australia and stuff, they have these pull-down sort of ladder things. The loft is usable as a space. In the UK, with older houses, like from the 80s and going back, it kind of seemed like it was a very strange thing if you think about it. They would build a house and say, and you've got space in your attic or your loft, but we're going to make it impossible for you to get there, for you to get there without a ladder and a torch. It just seems bonkers why you'd even bother to do that. She writes, hello, Kevin. Hello, Denise. Recently, you aired an old Patreon episode about haunted colleges and universities. Yes, I did. I'm proud to say I'm a graduate of the University of North Texas, and not only do I know about the ghost in Bruce Hall, my roommate, Stephanie, and I both had experiences whilst living there. And this is Denise's story. We lived on the fourth floor. One floor below the attic where Wanda supposedly died from a botched abortion. We could see into the attic through the openings around the access doors in the hallway ceiling. And although nobody ever went up there, the lights would turn themselves on and off at random times. Each dorm had two closets separated by a built-in dresser so each roommate could have their own storage space. The closet doors once had locks on them, but since they were no longer operational, we didn't have the keys. One day, Stephanie's door locked unexpectedly. We tried turning the handle and picking the lock, but nothing worked. We finally had to go to the front desk to see if they had an extra key. Luckily, they did, and we were able to get the door open. We thought it was weird, but figured it was just part of living in the oldest hall on campus. To prevent the door from locking again, we taped over the latch in the door frame, but, you guessed it, it locked again. It wasn't until we got the key to open it that we saw the tape hadn't even been broken. Stephanie also had a dream of a young blonde girl sitting on her bed with her arm around Stephanie. My experience with Wanda happened one afternoon. I was in the room alone and taking advantage of my newfound freedom by taking a nap in the middle of the day. I've always had very vivid dreams and moved around in my sleep. One time I even had a dream I was peeling a banana and woke up with my hands in the air as if I was actually peeling a banana. Anyway, I woke up from this particular nap with the feeling that a hand was over my mouth. My eyes were still closed, but I was sure that I had placed my own hand on my face, and I was grateful that I was in a room alone, so I wouldn't be embarrassed in front of Stephanie. Without moving my arms at all, I slowly opened my eyes, and quickly realised both of my arms were down by my sides but I could still feel the hand over my mouth, as if someone was trying to keep me quiet. I was paralysed in fear and laid still for what felt like hours, but I'm sure was actually only a minute or two. The sensation slowly went away, and I quickly got up and ran out of the room. I didn't return until I was sure Stephanie was back from class. Keep up with the great work, and I'm already looking forward to the next season of The Dark Paranormal. Sincerely, Denise. Why, thank you, Denise, and thank you for your terrifying story. Sleep paralysis is one of those things. Our final email today comes in from Kayla, and it's entitled, The Thing That Was Only Legs. Good God. Since I was young, I've always been able to see and hear things that weren't really there. My mum's told me of a story when I was two. We were looking at pictures, and I pointed to her grandmother, who died before I was born, and said... That's the monster in my room. I've always heard disembodied voices tell me good morning, or it's time to wake up, or move things of that sort. They've always been kind and calm, or keeping me out of harm's way. For example, a voice once told me to move, and then a fan blade fell off the ceiling fan and landed where I'd been prior. Well, that's not the point. These never scared me. No, 
It wasn't until 2019, when I was 26, that I had the most terrifying experience of my life. I've been in a pretty bad place mentally, and I think that's why this thing attached itself to me. This is going to sound absolutely asinine, but here it goes. So, the very first time I saw whatever the thing was, it was in the parking lot at work. When I saw it, I mentioned it to my boss. Hey, I think someone in the parking lot's there, and they've went towards the shed. She went and looked, and of course there's nothing there. Okay, whatever. I shrugged it off. Maybe I was seeing things, no big deal. But little did I know, it was a huge deal. That night, I had a dream where dark figures were crawling all over my ceiling and screaming in raspy voices. One, two, Satan's coming for you. Three, four, better lock your door. When I woke up, my room was darker than normal, an unnatural darkness. It scared me a little, but I shrugged it off. Well, it was just a dream, I thought. The next day at work, I'm folding some boxes and see this thing again at work. I can't even begin to describe what it looked like, but I'll try. It seemed almost like the Hat Man or Shadow Man, but not quite. It was tall, inhumanly tall, and very, very skinny. It was almost only legs. Its face, or lack thereof, was just blackness, no facial features. I shrugged it off again. I was just seeing things, I convinced myself. That night, it invaded my dreams, yet again. This time, it was next to my bed, looking down at me laughing, a deep, raspy laugh. Again, I shrugged it off, and I think this was my biggest mistake. I truly think I pissed it off by not taking it seriously. Again the next day at work, I saw it walking around the dining room, and again, I ignored it. Now, I hadn't told anyone about this, because I was afraid they'd call me insane. That night, I had a dream that this thing took my form, and it was on top of me, choking me. Then it grabbed the cross on my wall and threw it across the room, laughing, and broke it. I woke up crying and screaming. My roommate asked me what the hell was wrong with me, so I explained it to her. She seemed terrified, but still, I didn't take it too seriously. I mean, I've seen these things all my life. It can't be that big of a deal, and it's only strong enough to attack me in the sleeping world, so I should be fine. Oh boy, was I wrong. So wrong. Nothing at work that day. Okay, cool. It's moved on, I thought. Well, letting my guard down was definitely a mistake. That night, it wasn't in my dream. Nope, it got strong enough to attack me in the living world. I was sleeping pretty well. Though this thing didn't super bother me, I was petrified to sleep because of these dreams. Well, I'm in a deep sleep, and suddenly, my bed shakes violently, and I hear a low growl in my ear. I woke up, and my bed was literally halfway across the room. I had three scratches on my arm. I was crying, shaking, the most scared I'd ever been in my life. I knew it was time to take this seriously. I'm not sure why, but I posted on Facebook something along the lines of, I don't really care if people find me crazy anymore, I can't handle this. Here's what's going on. And I put a brief rundown of what was going on. The nightmares, the seeing this entity at work, the moving of the bed, etc. Surprisingly, I got lots of messages and help from people of all walks of life. Someone told me to try saying the 93rd Psalm, out loud until I felt safe. I did, and it seemed to help. I had one more nightmare, and this time the thing had a face and arms and legs. Prior, of course, it was only legs and no feet. I tried my hardest to tell it to go away, that I wasn't afraid anymore, and I was stronger than it, but I could not move my mouth. I tried calling out to deceased loved ones to help me, but I couldn't move or talk. I was completely frozen. It didn't matter, though. My uncle knew I needed him, and he showed up between me and this thing. He looked at it, looked at me, and said, Kayla... I'll be damned if I let that thing hurt you anymore. It seemingly helped, 
A few days later, I saw this thing at work again. It stood a few feet away from me. I looked at it, shook my head, and said firmly, No, I'm stronger than you now. Go away. You're not welcome here. It left, and I've not seen it since. The thing that had me most scared of this thing is I told it I was the child of God and it couldn't hurt me, and it just laughed and told me it wasn't afraid. I'm still not sure what this thing was and what it wanted from me, but I'm still, almost three years later, terrified to speak of it. Wow. Bloody hell. What a story, Kayla. And, you know, it's interesting because it must, you must, sorry, have seen Freddy's Nightmare on Elm Street at some point. And I'm not saying that that's completely what's happened there, but maybe you've allowed that to seep into your psychonscious, psychonscious? seep into your subconscious at some point. And um, hence, in your dreams, when it's doing the one, two, Freddy's coming for you, three, four, better lock your door thing. Um, and then it's took on a life of its own. Terrifying stuff. Thank you very much, Kayla, for sending that in. Don't forget, guys, we still need your stories. So if you, like Kayla, have been sat on a story and you want to send it in, send it in to contact at talkaboutghosts.com. And I, of course, will read it out. Right, I'm off to record a Patreon now because I've just found a website full of ghost stories and I'm going to share them on Patreon. If you want to become a Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash we need to talk about ghosts. In the meantime and in between time, as Jeremy Springer said in the mid-90s, style take care of yourselves and each other. Tatty bye.